Even if we're absent, we're training our children. You could be training your children for good or for evil. You could be doing it in a positive way or a negative way. You are training your child, and so how do you do it in the right way? How do you do it in, in such a way as you can say with Joshua when he challenges the children of Israel at the end of the book of Joshua, and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How do we do that? It talks in Ephesians chapter 6 when talking to husbands and fathers that we're not to make our children angry, but instead to train them up in the way of the Lord. And so our influence on our children is to be a godly influence, whether it be our children, our grandchildren, or if you're a mom or, or whoever you are here today, I want to encourage you to be an influencer for positive. And so I've asked some men in our congregation to help me this morning, and specifically the pastor's council. So I'm going to invite those that are going to be sharing today. If they could just come and, and sit on the front row, and they're just going to come up one after another and share this morning, because how do we have a positive influence on the people in our lives, on our children, on our spouses? How do we have that positive influence? And so we're going to give the disciplines of a godly man, the disciplines of a godly man. And, um, uh, you know, as we, we share these things, I want you to get your bulletins out because there's a place for sermon notes. And it doesn't matter if you're a dad here today. All of the, the things that are given today, all the disciplines are things we can apply to our life. And so we have a couple uh, pastor's council members that are traveling on vacation. So uh, Kelly Spencer and Steve Nisley will be sharing uh, by video. And uh, the rest will be live this morning. They're just going to come up one after another and uh, share this morning. They know the order. And so they'll come up and they'll introduce themselves and, and, and share with the congregation. But I want us to be open to receive what God is uh, speaking to our lives this morning. These men are more than just my friends. They influence my life in tremendous ways. And I could tell stories about each one, but I won't do that today to save time. But I want to tell you that they are godly men. I have a, a, a bookmark in my Bible, and I, I love this, what it says, um, and it talks about um, following God. It says, a man can make a difference in others when Jesus is making a difference in him. So I want you to listen to these guys, because they're making a difference in my life, in the life of our church, in the life of their families, because Jesus is making a difference in their life this morning. They're going to share with you. We're going to begin with a video. Kelly Spencer is on vacation. He'll tell you all about it. But uh, he'll start with the first discipline, and then the guys will just come up and share uh, after that. Hi, I'm uh, Kelly Spencer. I'm on vacation right now. Um, please pray for me. I'm away with the Leontios clan, every one of them in one single house. So I'm going to need a lot of spiritual discipline this week. But uh, happy Father's Day. The discipline that I'm going to share on today is about meditation. And while meditation brings a lot of different mental pictures with it, the idea of Christian meditation is not so much about emptying ourselves and becoming one with the world, but more about us quieting our spirit and hearing what God has to say to us. Christian meditation is more about listening, more about contemplating. It's pretty easy, at least the way I do it anyway, that on the way to work, I'll quiet my spirit, I'll turn off the radio, and I'll just listen to see what God has to say. Sometimes I'll bring up subject matter that maybe is coming up at work, if there's a problem I'm having at work, or if there's a challenge at home, or any of, the other, any of that nature, and I'll just listen. I'll say, God, here's my challenge, here's my problem. Sometimes I'll use scripture to supplement my meditation. 
An example of that is about a couple of years ago, I was felt called upon to meditate on a verse from Proverbs about rejoicing in the wife of your youth. And so for a couple of weeks, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I put it by the light uh, switch in my bedroom. I put it in my dashboard of my car. And I thought about it. I prayed about it. Almost a year later from that time period, there was a moment, several days in my life, where I started to just be cognizant of the things that were great about my wife, whether it's how she deals, how she deals with the kids, the, the, the kind of worker she is, the, the, um, the way she relates with her friends. It was a true, just a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for who she was. And granted, I, I appreciated her before, but it was just deeper. It was just different. God reminded me of a year previous when I had been meditating on this particular scripture. And at that time, I had no idea where it was going. And now I saw the fruit of that seed from a year earlier. So I guess what my point is in all this is use meditation. Use that time alone where you're driving in the car. Use that time where you're, you're, there's no one else around. There's no other distractions to invite God into pieces of your life. And he'll come there and he'll be there. He'll be there every single time, I guarantee it. Morning. Uh, my name is Jim D'Angelo. I've been on the Pastors Council for the last two or three years. And uh, some of you who don't know me may, may know of me. I'm the Luminati's pizza guy, so um, you may know me that way. Um, saying last night, a little nervous. I've probably changed my speech ten times and three more times this morning, I think. You know, um, my cousin and my brother and sister and his kids came to support me. Um, and maybe even more pressure is my sister-in-law was saying, my nieces and nephews were in the back going, I think Uncle Jim's going to sing tonight, you know. <laughs> so I'm counting on them to tell them I sing better than Justin Bieber or something like that. So a uh, little bit about myself. Um, married 21 years to my wife, Laura. We have five kids together. Um, they range from 17 to 7, and uh, I grew up in kind of a Italian household, named like D'Angelo, you don't have a choice, but um, grew up in an Italian house where uh, my mother was pretty subservient, quiet, did what she was told, and my father was pretty, um, I guess I'd say private. Uh, you didn't show weakness, you didn't cry. Um, you kind of kept all those things to yourself. And I would say mostly he lived life alone more than anything. He tried to handle things on his own, and he thought that's how you did it as a man. That showed strength. Um, and, of course, I came from a family of five. That's how the five of us were raised, too. Um, so early in my um, 20s, I was exposed to the discipline I want to talk about today, which is groups. Um, Small groups of men, small groups, couples groups, small groups of uh, co-eds, men and women, just to support life and to not do life alone. And uh, interesting enough, um, I think one of the first experiences I had with small group that was a, a kind of a turning point in my life was when my father was dying. Uh, he's been gone 17 years now since um, 94, I guess it is. And... Uh, was interesting because he had leukemia, he went into remission, and then um, after remission he got it back again. It was one of those leukemias that comes back pretty easily. So 
I remember I was kind of, I think, like I was saying earlier, the typical guy, I would live in the statistics like he had 12% you know, chance to recover and, and I was living in that hope and really not paying attention to maybe what was really going on inside of me. I just kind of wanted to focus on that. And I remember where I was the day I got a call from one of the guys um, supporting me in group, and I was telling him, hey, he's got it back, but let me tell you, there's a 12% chance, and, you know. And that guy had lost his father earlier to cancer, and uh, I remember him saying to me, you know, Jim, he doesn't have a cold. He has cancer. So even if he gets past this next one, you know, it's not likely that it's going to keep going and going. You know, you need to think about what it is you want to say to him. You don't know how much time he has. You don't know, you know, when he's going to go, if it's this time or next. And I remember not being happy with that guy. I mean, like, why is he raining on my parade? I'm, I'm trying to stay positive here, strong, you know. And, uh, and again, I, I remember hanging up that phone and really being upset with that guy. But it stuck with me. I mean, he told me some hard truth that, that I really needed to hear in that moment. And I walked away going, I, I do need to think about what it is I want to say to my dad. And like I said earlier, my dad wasn't a man of kind of sharing. And so I, I knew that I knew that he loved me through certain ways, but he, he never said it. And maybe that's a, a, of the times, maybe, I don't know. But I never heard it from him. I didn't hear it. It wasn't said in our house. And so I knew that was one thing I wanted. And then another thing I wanted was to know if he was scared of dying. I just, you know, those were the two things that I had come up. There were other things, I think, that came along after that, but those are the two I remember. And so, of course, every day I went to the hospital, there was a nurse there. There were other family members there. There was an excuse for me to not say those things. It was um, all I could do because I was basically scared to do it. I just didn't know where it was going to go. And so one morning I had showed up and checked for bone marrow match or something along those lines, and the nurse had left, and I kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, this is my chance. And, and I remember saying to him, you know, like, are you afraid of dying? And, and I really got a sense that he said, yes, I am, you know, and I got a real sense of him in that moment. And then I said, okay, you know, Dad, I just really want you to know I love you. And... I wasn't kind of looking directly at him, but he was kind of off to the side when I said it. And as I turned to look at him when I said it, there were just tears in his eyes. And he cracked back to me, you know, I, I love you too, Jim, you know. And I knew, it was like I was the parent and he was the child in that moment. But it didn't matter for the 26 years before that that he hadn't said it. Because from every moment then on at the hospital, that's how we kind of said goodbye. I said, I love you to him. He said, I love you. We kiss each other on the cheek, which we didn't do either. And, and again, in an Italian house, kiss on the cheek might not be a good thing, right? You know, a little godfatherish, but, but, um, but, you know, I just, there was just something about it healed that wound, and there was something that I just, again, knew. And he didn't last much longer after that. And, uh, and I was thankful to that man who challenged me that day, who took a risk to hurt me, to maybe risk our friendship, quote-unquote. But he really cared about me, and so that's why he said it. Um, so, you know, that's one of the stories from supporting, getting support in a group. And we commit to each other in the groups I've been to becoming better men, better women, better couples, better husbands, better wives, better parents. And we commit to each other that I will speak into your life and you will speak into mine. 
And I think it allows me to feel God's love in ways through other people. It allows me to, to be challenged the way God would challenge me. It allows me to look at maybe how God is disappointed sometimes in me. And it really just challenges me to be the man I think God intended me to be from the beginning. And it kind of takes the um, iron sharpens iron concept, I think. So I want to share another story. When uh, in 97, our middle child was born, Nicholas, and some of you know him. Some of you have been to our golf outing um, where we raised. He was born with a pretty rare syndrome called CDLS. And this syndrome ran from mild to severe. And me and my wife knew we had gone, we had to leave him at the hospital. He had like congenital pneumonia, I think. And so we had come back and our pediatrician was there. And we talked back kind of after the fact saying we knew it wasn't good because when we showed up, our pediatrician was as white as a ghost. And so they basically said to us, you really don't want to go on the internet because it's pretty grim on the internet. It was outdated. It was information from maybe the 40s or 50s. And, but we don't know if he's going to talk. We don't know if he's going to connect with you. We don't know if he'll eat. We don't know. And uh, I think I took the typical, well, again, maybe it's not typical male role, but I took the role of, okay, if I just ignore it, maybe it'll change, maybe it'll get better, maybe it won't be true. My wife took the role of, I'm going to get him every therapy I possibly can to you know, help him get him what he needs. And uh, I remember um, one of the guys, or not one, many of the guys in my Friday morning group saying to me, Jim, you need to start getting involved. This was about eight months later. And I'm like, guys, I work. You know, all that stuff happens during the day. I work. You know, good excuse, right? I mean, you know, so. Um, and they really pushed me and said, Jim, there's cell phones in this day and age. Like, make all your phone calls on the way out to his therapy. Do his therapy with him. Make all your phone calls on the way back. You can get a ton of things done still and do it. And so it really pushed me to get involved and face it. And um, I, again, thank those guys because it was a risk where I just didn't see it. It's not how I was wired. It wasn't what I saw. And so, um, you know, I really want to finish with this last story, which I'm forgetting right now. <laughs> Um, I lost my train of thought here. Um, but, you know, I really, really, I guess the thing I want to say is that groups and, and support from groups and the discipline of doing that for the last 21 years has made a difference in my life. I've decided not to live my life alone. I've decided to let other people critique me. I've decided that... Um, I want to hear the truth, and I want to tell the truth to others. I want to become more of the man God has intended me to be. And I kind of, I'm sure I'll mess this quote up, but I've heard the quote, like, truth without love is like a hammer. And love without truth is just flattery, which doesn't make an impact or a difference in people's lives. And so I've really tried to live by the principle of telling truth in love, whether it's to myself, whether it's to others, whether it's others to tell me. And so I just would encourage you to kind of get that support in your life, especially men. Especially, We don't talk much. We don't pay attention to what's really going on, I think. We're good at doing, but not paying attention to it. And so um, I just would encourage you to do that because I think the final result of that has been it has allowed me to be filled up where I was empty for so many years. And then from that place of being filled up and overflowing, I have so much to give back to others too. 
Um, and it's just been a great give and take. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Good morning and happy Father's Day. My name is Jared Johnson, and uh, the thing that God put on my heart to share with you today is about integrity and truth. Growing up, I was very close to my dad, still very close with him. Right now, they're in Liberia, Africa. My parents, they're serving the Lord, and they'll be there for about a month. So it brings uh, great joy to my heart to know that I have parents that love, serve God, have faith, and walk their faith out. When I was a kid, my dad would always tell me, if you make a commitment, you stick to it. It doesn't matter how hard it is or what you have to do. And I remember committing to mow the lawn at our church. And I worked for my dad in the summertime. We had our own business. We, he had a farm and everything. And it was about 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. I was exhausted. I'd been working all week for my dad and, you know, things like that. And, and the typical work week, I think, for us was about 50 hours. It was what we did on the farm. So my dad said, you haven't forgot about mowing the lawn, have you, at the church? <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. It can wait. He said, no, it has to be done for Sunday. So I went to the church, and I put the headlights on in the truck, and I, I flashed them out onto the yard of the church, and I mowed the lawn like that. It's just little things like that that you think about for the rest of your life and the decisions that you make and the commitments that you make. See, according to, to the dictionary, integrity is basically honesty or the state of being whole. You may have also heard integrity being described as who you are when no one's looking or you behind closed doors. A really good friend of mine who I've been doing some work with, they used to go to this church. His name is Josh Thomas. He's got four kids now, and his oldest is 12 years old. <clears throat> and he posted on Facebook the other day, uh, and we actually went to dinner with him last night, so I asked him if I could use this, and he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. So anyway, here's Josh's post about his 12-year-old son. My probing question, or a probing question by my 12-year-old son Caleb last night. Dad, are you the same person when you're not around me? Do you talk the same way? I mean, do you have integrity? It's like, wow. <laughs> he was like, well, that was a difficult question to answer. <laughs> I believe that integrity is built through accountability. See, each decision that we make builds integrity. I don't believe it's the big decisions in our lives you know, the huge, huge decisions that we have to make that are times of building your integrity. I think it's one decision that you make each and every day. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> I grew up on a farm. I got to do that with my dad. I also worked for my grandpa and my uncle. They were farmers, too. We had a chicken house. that had 100,000 chickens. And you had to do something with that manure, right? So... I would spread the manure, you know, with the big tractor and everything through the field. Wherever we put that manure, the, the grass, the plants, anything, were about 10 feet higher than anything else. It was unbelievable. That stuff was like superfood, you know? 
Well, my whole point is, is that it doesn't matter what kind of seed it is, whether it's a weed or a plant, a corn plant, bean, whether you're planting a garden, cabbage, whatever, it's going to grow in that stuff. A seed will grow in manure. So you may feel like you're really in the stuff right now. But my point is, a plant or a weed, choose your seed. And each and every moment that you come across, whether it's your grocery store and the clerk gives you incorrect change and you know it, plant or seed, choose, or plant or weed, choose your seed. At that moment, those are the things that build integrity. The choices to make things right and to do what is right. I'm going to share with you a few passages of scripture that are really dear to my heart. I love Proverbs. I love Psalms. And uh, I love the Gospels. See, in Luke 8, 17, it says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. That seed is going to grow, whichever one you choose to plant, a crop or a weed. As a farmer, you want to see a great crop. If you plant corn, man, you want to see tons of corn. When you see weeds, you're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's more work for me, and your field doesn't look good. And maybe you're at a point in your life when you've planted so many seeds of weeds that that's all you see. There's still hope. You know what? Allow God to burn that field because you know what? The ground is still fertile. The ground is still fertile. There's hope for each and every one of us. So if you feel like, you know what? I can't conceal, or I have to conceal my sin. I can't let it out in the open. Yes, you can. There's still hope. Your soil is still fertile. It will produce the right seed. You just have to let God burn it and start to replant. See, I think integrity is choosing what is right before the confrontation of compromise. Set your mind to do what is good and right in the eyes of God before the opportunity to do something bad comes along. A lot of times I think a great way to do this is to set godly goals with big dreams. That's what I've done in my life. I've set great godly goals Because a person that sets dreams and goals will set their path and make their decisions based on those goals. Goals and dreams have a way of directing our lives. If I want to be a pastor, which I am, (laughs) but when when I went to Bible college, that's what I wanted to be. That's what I felt like God told me to do, to become a pastor, to get licensed and ordained. So what did I do? I did everything that I could to get to that goal that dream, that desire that God put in my heart. Those decisions that I made to have sex before marriage were all based on how is that going to affect where I want to go with my life and what God has, has called me to do. Those decisions that I made to be truthful and honest with those that are around me and to live a life of integrity were all based on that goal. Where do I want to be 10 years from now? How are the decisions that I make now going to affect where God is wanting me to go. See, in Proverbs 21, 
It says, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. To have integrity, you have to live a life of truth in God's word. You got to know his word. Integrity affects the way I live my life, treat my wife and my son, run my business, treat my body, the way I eat, sleep, think, act, and serve. Because all those things are based around where God wants me to go. And I know where God wants me to go because I spend time with him. And I serve him and I love him and I read his word. And I make those small choices every day to say, plant or weed, choose your seed. Psalms 25, 20, and 22 says, Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me put to shame, be put to shame. For I take refuge in you, O God. My integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. And in Proverbs 23, it says, Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers, uh, a, man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. That's my heart's desire is to serve God with all my heart to live a life of integrity, and through that, my parents are joyful and happy. Today, I'd publicly like to say thank you to my father and mother. They continue to show me how to live life with purpose, to love God with all my heart, and to have faith to believe that anything is possible with God as the center of your life. And my prayer truly is that Heather and I, and little Jaden... <laughs> We'll always honor God with our lives, with our marriage. And it's a happy Father's Day for me because it's my first official Father's Day is having a son, and I love it. <laughs> Thank you. When I walked over here and around uh, behind the congregation, I just have to tell you what I saw. Um, you guys are like little power centers, like, like posts of power just emanating. You represent the power of God from a very early age in your life. He reached down and touched you, and he's starting to work in you, and he's got a work going on. It was really cool to walk around and see the work that God had done in your lives. I don't know all of you, but I know the power of God is there. And I just wanted to start by sharing that because you're the answer to somebody's prayer. I'm going to talk about prayer, and I'm the least likely person and the least qualified person on our pastor's council to talk about that. Uh, my name's Chris Ullman. 
And um, I'm a teacher here at the college and also a librarian. And um, I help with the men's ministry. I've gotten to know a number of you men, and it's just warmed my heart to see you here. I do check to see if you're here. (laughs) When you're not here, I'm praying for you. And I recognize that God has led me in this school of prayer um, through a variety of circumstances, and usually against my will, sad to say. I've been a born-again Christian since January 6, or June 6, 1972. However, I have had a lot to learn. And I've discovered that one thing is that we're, we're always only beginners in prayer. We will begin again at different points, but we're always only beginners in prayer. It's, it's such an essential thing. Um, how can we always only be beginners? There is so much to learn about this. There is so much to know about how to experience God in prayer. And again, I didn't go out looking for these, for these lessons. My belief was, I'm going to study the Word and learn how to teach the Word, teach the truth. And, and, you know, yeah, I'll pray when I need to, and I'll pray for opportunities to share the Word, to teach truth and so forth. But I'm recognizing more and more that part of my spiritual life was, was being neglected because I, I didn't know how to get to God in prayer. Uh, it wasn't a part of my life. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't essential. It was work. It was, it was not fun work either. It was kind of grueling. It was frustrating. I had friends that, man, they were so much deeper than me. It's like, okay, you're, that's, that's your thing, but my thing is something other than prayer. And uh, I've been amazed to see how God has coaxed prayer into my life. One of the ways he does it, people, and it's unfortunate that we have to put it this way, but maybe it's just my stiffness and stubbornness, is he puts us in positions where he squeezes prayers out of us. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. I mean, why doesn't God just give you what you need when you need it? Uh, It isn't really much about what you need. It's about who you need. And in the process of finding myself against an insurmountable obstacle, against a budget that doesn't cover everything, against a, uh, you know, energy that, la- that is lacking for the work that I believe God calls me to do, against an absence of patience, against a willingness to, to, uh, to, to, be, to be willful on my own. God puts you right in the place where he can squeeze prayers out of you. The book of Revelation says the prayers of the saints are like incense. So I don't know what it smells like in heaven, but it must be sweet because he squeezes a lot out of us, doesn't he? And that's kind of a mixed metaphor, but there's a way that uh, perfume makers know how to squeeze the essence out of a beautiful flower. Actually, it takes a lot of flowers, doesn't it, in order to make a bottle of perfume. But that essence just permeates everything. And I know that's kind of a girly metaphor, and Mark's going to give me a hard time for it later on, but um, nevertheless, he uses aftershave, uh, once in a while, and so he understands how this stuff works, and so you know, basically you, this thing permeates the environment. When, you, when you're somebody who's learned how to pray, and you rely upon being able to pray, it changes your whole household. It changes the way you look at things. It changes the atmosphere in your car. It, it changes the way you, you relate to your spouse. It changes the way that, that you talk to your friends. I had a friend who taught me a negative lesson about prayer. We were really good at sharing prayer requests, but we weren't good at praying together. And in the process, this has been a number of years ago, and some of you might even remember, but I'm not going to tell the name. This man hatched a plot in his heart and carried it through. It was a very sinful plot. 
and he, and he basically deserted his family. And I realized at that point, I am not getting close to one person, one man in my life as a friend if we're not praying together. That's a prerequisite. We're going to learn how to talk to God together. I'm going to hear you pray. You're going to hear me pray. Not to critique, but to open up and get that, get that shield, get that veil off. And let's just be bare before God and let that go up, up to heaven. God has a way of drawing people together through their prayer, prayer needs. And I see that those needs that we have in the, in the body are something that actually knits the body together. It's the strangest thing. You would think that with a lot of people, those needs are alienating and isolating. And men tend to just kind of crawl back in a cave someplace and I'll just take care of it all by myself and I don't need anybody else. And if I can't fix it, it's not going to get fixed. And God just keeps saying, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to live. So he keeps giving us these prayer requests and these needs and he keeps pressuring prayers out of us. And honestly, the pressure is probably unavoidable. It's your choice to submit to it and enjoy the squeezing, but it's still going to be a squeezing. If God's going to work in your life, he's going to find a way to get you to the point where you end up praying like so many godly believers, how long, oh Lord, how long? Do a great Bible study on that, just that phrase, how long? Why is it that God's people find themselves in that position so often? God loves to hear his people cry out to him and ask and draw close to one another and to him in the process. The interesting thing about these trials that we go through that bring the prayers up out of our inner being, and the ones that come up out of our inner being, they hurt, don't they? It's not the ones where, oh God, you know, bless us, O Lord, and these that gifts which we have received through the body of Christ our Lord, amen. And, you know, just keep me, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. Those basic kinds of things that we prayed and learned how to pray early on. But it's the prayer of, God, I can't do this without you. I've got to have you. Those prayers, man, they don't feel good. And, and, and I think up in heaven, it just must be very beautiful. It must be very sweet. God's not sadistic, but he knows how to get to the center of you. And then one of the ways he does it, when he does, you'll cry out. And he'll be there, and he hears, and he loves to hear. And the great thing about this, people, is that as men and as women, as children of God, um, the trial we went through was hard, and it hurt, and we felt like we were lost and messed up. And then God gives it to us. And then we go on to the next thing. We can get something else and get something else. No, no. The great thing about this is that the, the depth that comes from the prayer during the trial stays with you. And the bonds that come by sharing with another brother stay with you. This man over here, 16 months looking for work. I've testified many times about how his testimony of looking for work has blessed my heart and my life. And I grew close to him through that 16-month period of time. We're still close. It's a great thing. What is, does God know what he's doing? It's wonderful what he builds in his kids' lives. And then we go on, we're stronger. Yeah, there'll be something else. There'll be something new. This is a finite world. This is a fallen world. Until Christ comes back, 
We're going to have those needs. But the prayer that issues forth, especially prayer with one another, is something that is blessed and pure before God. I thank God for some of the prayer um, mentors I've had in my life and uh, the people that have encouraged me. I can't get over this. I like praying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to work at prayer. It's, it's fun to stand before God. It's a nice thing to be able to just walk across and stay prayerful. Uh, this, is God's, this is God's doing. This old, you know, do it yourself. I can fix it. You can do whatever you want to do type of thing. No matter what you set your heart and mind to, I was told that all the time I was growing up. It's such a strong lesson in my life. I've had to overcome that because I recognize that it's whatever God wants to do in my life. That's what's going to take place. And so I, I, I'm not as focused as I'd like to be today, um, but, but I hope the message of prayer has come across loud and clear. God will continue to put us in positions where he will squeeze prayers out of us. And our response is what's going to make the difference. And uh, we will have strength and power and purity and, uh, uh, and blessing as, as we go forward in him. Christian Life Church. Uh, I'm Steve Nisley. I'm part of the Pastors Council, and uh, I'm going to give you my five disciplines of a godly man. Um, first one is begin and end with God. Uh, what I mean by that is just I like to do a quick prayer in the morning and at night. Um, just a quick, you know, it doesn't have to be long. Just something saying, you know, you know, thank you for helping me with what I'm doing or talk about what you're going to be doing that day, that kind of stuff. Uh, I sometimes do it at the beginning or end of a task, too, um, that type of thing. just helps me to uh, stay humble and remember that really God's in control of everything. And uh, it also you know, helps to relieve some stress, too. You know, I can only control what I can do, and I can't control everything. So uh, that's the first one. Um, second is uh, realize that you can't do it alone. Uh, I try and remember, you know, obviously you need other people. Uh, I try to create a support group is what I do. Um, obviously, you know, if you're married, your wife is part of your support group. Maybe if you're younger, your parents. Uh, and then also, you know, I think you need to have some friends, too, that you can talk to just about anything uh, going on in your life. Maybe you have different people for different topics. You know, you have a buddy that you talk to about dad stuff, and you have another friend of yours that... You talk to about financial items, that kind of stuff. Um, and that, that leads uh, really pretty good into the, my third one, which is uh, seek wise counsel. Um, and Proverbs 12:15 uh, says, "The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Uh, ask other people what they think about your plans and uh, things you're doing in your life and see what they say. Um, not all the counsel that you get is going to be wise, uh, but it's, it's all worth something. Um, you know, sometimes you ask somebody their opinion about something, you don't even know if they know about that, and just find out what they say. Uh, Proverbs 15.22 says, Plants fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So again, just driving home the point that, uh, you know, you don't have to talk to somebody that's an expert necessarily on the thing that you're asking about. Um, I just like to ask other people what they think about uh, you know, different plans before I do them. 
And it gives you uh, kind of a sounding board thing too. Uh, fourth, uh, pray for other people. Uh, for me, I can only pray for myself so much. After a while, um, you know, it's, you're just repeating yourself. I feel like God already knows what my needs are. And it really helps me if, uh, you know, I just pray for other people about what their needs are. You just, just think of somebody that you know is uh, maybe doing something similar to you in life or uh, has a similar situation or even if they don't, you know, when I, at least for me, when I pray for other people's needs, I find that I'm receiving the blessing as well. And uh, it's a big key for me. Um, number five is uh, make at least one improvement every day in your life. Uh, can be you know at home or at work or just with your family. Uh, I like to try and do at least one thing every day. Gives you a sense of accomplishment, self-worth, and it really helps to uh, if you have a down day. Uh, you know maybe you know things really stink today, but you can look back and say, you know, look at what uh, what I've accomplished through just just small things that you do every day and how it builds up over time to really you're accomplishing something big. Um, so that's my five disciplines. Have a good day. Okay, I am it, so don't worry. Get you out of here as soon as I can. It is so great, as I was worshiping over there, just looking around and seeing all the men here today. You know, I, I think of what you could be doing today. It's Father's Day. You deserve to do what you want to do. So you could say, you know, maybe I want to go out fishing, want to go hunting, want to sleep in, whatever it is, just want to take it easy, sit in front of the TV. But you chose to be in the house of the Lord on Father's Day. So good for you. And ladies, I think we should give these men a round of applause. All right, I've sucked up to the men. How can I uh, kiss up to the ladies now? I don't know. But, uh, and, and I think when Mark Cahill, he came through here a few years back and spoke from this pulpit, and one thing he said just stuck with me, and I, I know it stuck with a lot of the guys here, but that the most difficult job in America today is being a father. The pressure, the responsibilities, and being a Christian father is the most difficult job out there. So hopefully through the discussions of the other men and through what I have to say, Dads, this will help you. Just an introduction of myself. Uh, my name is Mark Bechtold. Uh, I was raised in Mount Prospect and 35 years old. Um, I graduated Christian Life College and got a pastoral degree there, so naturally became a police officer. But while I was at college, the reason I went there, I think, was because that's when I met my wife, Jody. And yes, thank you. That's, uh, I did good. Uh, married Jody, we've been married for 13 years. We have five kids, Lauren, Reagan, Eleanor, Wyatt, and Travis. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. So um, we've got five kids, and uh, we live in Des Plaines. And those of you who live in Des Plaines and want to be part of a community group, next Sunday night, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. You can sign up under our name. And we'd love to have you guys out there, and we've got fun stuff for kids to do. So if you have kids, bring them with but you have to stay, but bring them with. Uh, I've been on the Mount Prospect uh, Police Force for 13 years now, and the passions in my life, I like baseball, I like country music, I like the Andy Griffith Show, 
and I just love being a dad and messing with my kids. It's a lot of fun. So, All right, well, when Pastor Darrell, who is my brother-in-law, those of you who don't know, my father-in-law is Pastor Merrill, so you can do the math there. Um, but when Pastor Darrell asked for us in the Pastor's Council to come up with a, a godly discipline that we can share on, my first question was, is sarcasm a godly discipline? But I was told no. So I realized I don't have many godly principles in my own life, so I figured I'd take it from someone who does, and that's my father. Uh, my father was here last night, but he's a pastor, so he is at his church today, so he couldn't be here. Uh, but I want to share some, some things from his life that have influenced me. And these aren't just going to be tips that are good for dads, but for all of us that are just trying to serve God, for grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads, for kids. These principles can be used in each one of our lives. Tons of pages of notes boiled down to three points that I'm going to share today. My dad, he lives simply, he lives safely, and he is a servant. That's what I got out of four years of Bible college, alliteration. So there we go. Uh, number one, my dad lives simply. Micah 6, 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is my dad. It's boiled down into those simple principles of his life. Some of the simple qualities that my dad lives by, he, he was not born Amish, but he was born in Pennsylvania near Lancaster County, which is Amish. So he's as close as you can get to it without being it. And he's the only one in Mount Prospect that has a you know, 20-foot-high windmill in their backyard. And, um, but some of the simple qualities that my dad lives by, he walks and bikes two miles to work each and every day. He still uses a manual push mower, which is great now. I think, you know, oh, that's so cool. My dad's out there very retro, got his push mower and that. But when I was a kid having to push that thing, it wasn't so cool. Uh, but my dad fixes things. He doesn't just replace things and buy them brand new. If he does replace them, it's something he garbage picks, something he gets from a garage sale. But my dad is all about what can he do to fix or repair things. He sends cards in the mail for every occasion, birthday cards, uh, Father's Day, Mother's Day. He even sent my wife a Father's Day card. Just, I, but, yeah, I mean, he just sends mail all the time. And it's so nice to get letters from my dad. And it's just nice. All the kids look forward to it. And my dad's got 12 grandkids to keep track of. It's a lot, but he still, he mails everything. So if you're looking to get my dad a present, book of stamps would be nice. Um, <laughs> My dad drives one car until that car cannot be driven any longer. Sometimes beyond when it can't be driven any longer. Therein lies the walking and biking to work, I think. But um, my dad is an avid book reader. He's very well-read, well-versed. He's not a big watcher of TV. My dad does not cuss. He does not drink. He does not smoke. Married to one woman. I mean, all these things are great attributes, simple, taken for granted. Um, I have to go to the Merrill side to get the cussing and drinking and smoking and that, but, you know, as far as... <clears throat> it is good to have the microphone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, most importantly, the, the most simple, powerful attribute my dad has that I love and appreciate about him is that man appreciates a good nap. And he could just 
close his eyes for five minutes and then be back up and revitalized, re-energized, and ready to roll. So I appreciate that about him, too. The wise sage of our current generation, no, it's not Bob Dylan, the great country singer Alan Jackson, who speaks into my life quite often, he has a song called Small Town Southern Man. Now, my dad's not from the south. He's from Pennsylvania, which is south of Canada, but not south in the sense. Um, but the chorus of this song goes like this. I won't sing it. Jim, you want it so you can fulfill your word? Uh, and he bowed his head to Jesus. He stood for Uncle Sam. He only loved one woman, and he was always proud of what he had. He said his greatest contribution is the ones you leave behind, raised on the ways and gentle kindness of a small-town southern man. Now, that's a country song. But that is my dad, living simply. A uh, second part about my dad is that he lives safely. James 1.19 and 20 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. My dad is a very patient man, and being part of his home growing up is very safe. I always felt safe in that house. Now, and that's with two older brothers, so that's saying something. Uh, But I'm sure each one of us could have a testimony of something our parents said to us that when we were kids, we just kind of rolled our eyes at and just, yeah, whatever. And then sure enough, 20 years later, Catch yourself saying the same thing? Well, that's what happened to my dad. We would grow up, and he would say all the time, when we brothers and I would start being sarcastic towards one another, making fun of one another, he would say, uh, guys, this is a safe place. In his calm, Fred Rogers-type mannerism, this is a safe place. It's like, oh, yeah. and so anytime, at the dinner table, this is a safe place. We'd be on vacation, this is a safe place. It's like, oh, please. But now I realize how much I appreciate growing up in a safe house, a house that was free from bullying, free from insecurity, free from being put to shame. I mean, brothers, we would fight and do all that, but ultimately we knew that we loved each other. And even to this day, my dad and my two brothers and I, we get together once a month in Rockford, kind of middle ground for all of us, and we get, go to Cracker Barrel and we eat and we just hang out and laugh and check in with each other for a couple of hours. And that's because... We grew up in a safe home. So, what, need, what makes a safe place? Well, kids can fail without ridicule. This is important, that you let your kids mess up at home. and In school and in public, they're going to get made fun of. But at home, they need to know they can mess up, they can fail, and it's okay. You need to laugh a lot. We laugh a lot at our house, sometimes too much. Um, but it's great to have those inside jokes, too, with each one of your kids or your spouse, things that people, other people hear, and they're like, ah, that doesn't do anything for me. But to have those inside jokes that you can laugh at, I think that makes kids feel special and feel safe. Along with laughter, though, don't laugh at your kids or make fun of them. It sounds pretty obvious in that, but there's just subtle ways, I think, that sometimes parents put their kids down, and I think it's very hurtful, and you don't realize the damage that you're doing. Now, your spouse, that's fair game, but you can, just kidding, just kidding. Um, and you need to praise the qualities in your kids that they are in control of. Like the one kid that's present here today, Reagan, if I just say, oh, Reagan, you have such a nice smile, or you're so pretty. Reagan, you're very pretty. Well, she's got her mom's jeans. She's going to be pretty. Did that make up for it? 
All right. All right, I'll try. Um, so she's going to be pretty. That's nice, but she can't control that. But if I say, Reagan, you know, you're, when you smile, it's like people just feel comfortable. They feel at ease. It makes them feel good about themselves. That's something that she can take more to heart and take more pride in. So praise qualities in your kids that they have the ability to control. Always and never are words that have little use in parenting or in marriage. Be very careful what follows these words when you're talking to your kids. When you say you always or you never, just be very careful because those words are hard to take back. Don't embarrass your kids. Now a little asterisk on this. I take nothing, no more pleasure than embarrassing my kids as they get older. My 12-year-old daughter, you know, she just has that 12-year-old rolling eyes at dad look sometimes. And so that just eggs me on to want to embarrass her and, you know, threaten to take her out to go swimming and I'll wear a Speedo and things like that. And (laughs) just to see what her reaction would be. By the way, I was having five kids. I'm very sensitive to this. My wife works in the nursery, number 22, if anybody uh, wants to go get their kid. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Uh, but that's uh, don't embarrass your kids in a way that crosses that line. I know growing up playing a lot of sports, there were those dads that would scream at the coaches, scream at the umpires, that they would just, and I'd just see my teammates just embarrassed as their dads are doing this. My dad was there. That's all that mattered, and I appreciated him being there. But don't embarrass your kids in public like that where you cross that line. One other thing that I thought was huge in my parents is they didn't fight in front of me. I'm not saying they didn't fight. I wasn't aware of them fighting. I'm guessing they did, though. Now that I'm married, I just realized that's just part of the package. But I don't think, I didn't see them fighting in front of me, and I appreciated that because I felt, again, there was this idea of safety around our house. It wasn't dad putting mom down in front of the kids. It wasn't any of that. It was dad encouraging mom. I mean, it's still kind of, I roll my eyes when, you know, my dad's eating my mom's cooking. Oh, this is wonderful. Ginger, you have outdone yourself. I'm thinking, you've been eating this cooking for how many years now? You know, do you need, but it's like, I appreciate that. I mean, and my mom appreciates it. And it's over the top, but that's how they work. And, you know, maybe I could have been better at conflict management if I would have seen my parents fight and resolve their conflicts in that. But on the flip side, I'm so thankful that my first impulse is not to fight and not to be angry and not to go at other people. And I think that's due to the safety that I saw in my parents' relationship. And then also, part of the final part of being safe is to be the safe place in your neighborhood. My parents' house is the place where kids would come hang out. Kids with messed up families, they would come and we would hang out there. And they loved, again, my dad was the Mr. Rogers of the neighborhood that the kids would, they would make fun of in a joking way because he would wear his cardigan sweaters and that, but they loved him. My dad was like a cool nerd, and the kids just loved hanging around him. So it was, we try and do that now in our neighborhood, and we built this gigantic swing set in our backyard that the kids, just neighborhood kids, will be jumping all over, swinging and hanging on, and I just love being that neighborhood safe place for kids. And finally, my dad is a servant. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That was my dad. That is a parent, is putting others ahead of yourself. What's important to me is important to my dad. That's always been that way, whether it was Star Wars growing up, whether it was 
uh, something I'm going through in ministry, and I would just talk my dad's ear off, it's important to him. And we need to be that for our own children. And then the, the, the main thing that I think my parents live by that I try and do with my kids, not successfully all the time, is to say yes as much as possible. So many times it's so easy to just say no. Just, can I do this, Dad? No. Can, I, can you come see this? Not right now. I'm busy. Can you do No. And we, we've developed a lot of great ways to say no without saying no. But it's time to change that. It's going to require maybe standing up, maybe walking. I mean, some difficult tasks like that. But it's, it's hard to do when you're in the middle of it. You're really comfortable. And, Dad, come see what I did on the computer. Oh, I'm very comfortable. And it's like, just get up and do it. And I love that. And I love that my parents did that for me, and I try and do that for my kids too. Because if you keep saying no, they're going to stop asking. They're not going to stop doing, they're just going to stop asking. And the things are going to get worse and worse that they're doing, and they're just not going to look for your blessing or permission anymore. But you can put limits on it. That's the good news. My dad would say, okay, Mark, I'm home from work. I'm tired. I've been waiting for him to get home so we could play catch play baseball, and he'd say, all right, I'll give you one inning. So he would squat down and catch, and I would either walk the bases loaded, walk a run in, or strike the side out, whichever came first. And that was enough for me. And it took like 20 minutes out of my dad's schedule. But he knew there was an end time, and so I think that helped him. And even when he talks to people to this day, I'll watch him talk to these people that just suck the life out of them. I'm sure, thankfully, Christian life doesn't have any of those people that suck the life out of you in conversation. But at his church, they're full of them. But people will just talk to him. And I would watch him in the lobby, and he would say, okay, I've got to go. You have two minutes. And I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of harsh. But the way he would listen to them for two minutes and give them feedback for two minutes, was there was more in that conversation than a half hour of not wanting to be there and just that uncomfortable, awkward. And it was just, it's great. So if I tell you in the lobby today you have two minutes, well, you're one of those people that sucks the life out of me. So, I'm sorry. And then my dad sends cards to the entire police department and fire department where he's the chaplain of. He visits hospitals. He gives to friends financially. He gives to missions um, above and beyond his tithe. And he picks up trash. I still can't walk by a piece of garbage on the ground without picking up, thanks to my dad's influence in my life. But that's just the servant nature that he has. Now, I just want to close with this thought about a lot of parenting experts will say, you know, don't be your kid's friends. There's some truth in that, that that's not your goal. You know, mom's going to the mall dressing like you're 16 when you're not, you know, with your daughter and things like that. And guys, you know, thinking that you still can throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, even though you probably never hit 70. But, um, you know, you're still just out there with your son thinking... It, that's not what I'm talking about, being a best friend. You can still be the best friend to your kid. Because when it came to me getting married, between my brothers, a lot of close friends I had, the person that I chose to be my best man was my dad. And I have the best of both worlds. He's a great father, and he's also the best friend I have. So dads, let's strive for that in our kids' lives. Oh, wow. As we go this morning, I want to thank all the men that shared this morning. Thank you guys for being vulnerable, honest. And 
helpful, helpful words for all of us, and, and you can't do it on your own. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and, and follow him and, and do it his way. And if you want to do that this morning, um, there's a packet up here that you can grab and, and just find out more about Jesus and, and that. But would you stand for the benediction this morning? And I want to do something a little bit different uh, as we go this morning. I know we need to get out uh, at this time, but I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Merrill and Chris Solman down front because they're actually leaving for India. And uh, uh, Chris leaves today, Pastor Merrill leaves tomorrow, and uh, they're going to be ministering in India. And so I'm going to ask, and we normally don't do this, but I'm going to ask all the men of our congregation just to come behind them. Because as we give the blessing of the Lord today, I want to give it to you. Also, we have a special gift for all the men. You don't have to be a dad today. This is for all the men here this morning. Uh, A special uh, book of a new movie that's coming out. Uh, or if you don't like to read, there's mints, and everybody can use mints, right? So take one of those. Uh, Pastor Fritz says, don't take the props because those are his. Um, but a book or mints before you go. But uh, I think it's great for all the men to, uh, to stand with Pastor Merrill, with Chris this morning. We're going to give a blessing over the men as well, but we're going to uh, bless all the women also. But uh, would you just stretch forth your hand if you're out there, ladies, and just, uh, Lord, we just uh, kind of end our day today with the sending out of two men from our congregation. Lord, I thank you for my father, Pastor Merrill, and I thank you for Chris, uh, uh, just a brother in the Lord and and such an important part of our congregation here. And God, you've called them to go to India. And so, Lord, we pray that your anointing would be upon them over these next couple weeks, God, that you would just anoint them every word that they speak, God, every, every place that they go, Lord, in their physical bodies, in their heart, in their mind, in their spiritual life, God, I pray that you keep them strong, and just as they did in the book of Acts, as they laid their hands upon the apostles as they were sent out, Lord, we lay our hands upon them, and we pray that they would be anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. God, I pray for all of our men, God, that you would anoint us. It's, we may not be going to India, but God, you've got a call on our life for the next couple weeks to to follow you, to do what you've asked us to do. And so, Lord, make us sensitive to the Spirit. Anoint us by the power of the Holy Spirit for our lives. God, for every man, every woman, Lord, I pray your blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and grant you his peace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Men, come on over.